Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast. Episode number 18, baby. Exciting stuff. Now, I want to first say that I, I teased my lovely wife, Jen, for coming on for now two episodes to the audience, and I really thought it was happening this week. But alas, it is not. Uh, we were meant to record last night, being Friday night. I'm recording this on, on Saturday morning, and life just happened. Um, she'll tell you, and I you know, I think this is fair, too, like that I haven't treated her like a real guest. I didn't give her a preliminary phone call. I didn't give her an agenda. I just said, hey, honey, you're going to come, you know, will you come on and we'll <laughs> we'll talk to you a few topics. And I gave her like a, an overview. So she's going to probably give me a lot of crap next week when she comes on. But anyway, we, we, we didn't record. I mean, as I said, life just happened. Uh, my dad a few weeks ago essentially tore every ligament in his knee, had surgery yesterday. So we got an update from my mom last night. Um, our daughter who's incredibly easy as far as toddlers go and was even easier as a baby. Took a four-hour nap yesterday. Didn't fall asleep until after 10 last night, even though we put her put her to bed around 8. And, uh, you know, my Yankees stayed alive against Justin Verlander to force a game six tonight in Houston. Quick turnaround in the ALCS. And uh, so, we, so we, we did end up recording and uh, quickly to go pivot to the Yankees for a second. You know, we have to win a game now with, with, with the nearly unstoppable Garrett Cole starting. Um, you know, I, I actually haven't checked to see if he was if he was a starter tonight uh, or if they're going to save him for tomorrow. But either way, they're going to have to pay the piper and, and pitch uh, a bullpen game. Um, and it's going to come down to the bats. But, I mean, you know, Garrett Cole beating him after, and Verlander potentially to win this series is, is, a, is a tall task. I mean, Cole hasn't lost a game since late May. When the NBA and NHL season was, seasons were still going on. Think about that. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Now, on the other hand, you could say he's, he's a human and he's due to lose. So, we'll see what happens. But here I am solo. Um, I think we have a good show today. And um, I'll head on this episode and in the coming weeks, uh, the show is going to feature uh, several guests. And... Um, you know, the Jen show will happen next week, and I also plan to have two different guests coming in in the next few to do NFL recaps. I'm working on a few other episodes I think you'll find interesting as we move our way through the final quarter of the 2019 year. And uh, on today's show, I'm going to walk through an example of a slang word that I use in my vocabulary that has been on a solid six-year run and going strong. Uh, I'm going to transition to talking about the concept of ghosting. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the latest hurdles in parenting a three-year-old, jump into week six to seven NFL bridge, and end with a hot take and rant. So we have a content-rich show today, boys and girls, so buckle up and enjoy. All right, so in addition to pop culture slang or regional vernacular, many of us have phrases or words that we work into our, our own personal verbal repertoire, if you will. And usually this is something adopted from a friend or an acquaintance or uh, somebody that we know that uses this. And we use these to amuse ourselves and the friends and, and people that we surround ourselves in our life. Well, my example of this that I've been using for, as I said during the, uh, the intro, for a solid half dozen or so years is the word chief. Now, I have to give credit to a former colleague of mine and his older brother, who really piped this word into my vocabulary. And I have since spread it 
and made it one of my central signature slang words across multiple friend groups. I fucking love it. And I've loved it for a number of years. Now, in more common slang, chief is used typically in a condescending way towards strangers who interface, especially to subtly signal annoyance, disdain, or disrespect. Like, hey, um, you know, the the somebody hands you something at, at like a, a grocery store and it's like, oh, thanks, chief. Something like that. Well, this version is adapted, as I've come to understand and utilize it to be a descriptor for a particular kind of person. Now, using the Urban Dictionary for the best frame of reference for Chief, this following definition, which is definition number five, applies best. So, quote, Chief is described as an irritant, somebody who puts their own self-interest, their own interest before yours, or does anything at all annoying, reasonable, or not. A quintessential example of a chief move is wearing sunglasses indoors. And just in a little more elaboration, you know, I see a chief as usually a dude who can run the gamut from a person who fits the following criteria. Unlikable, overtly and irrationally arrogant, obnoxious, conspicuous. You know, I also use it as an adjective saying that something can be a chief move similar to like a dick move. And uh, I absolutely love it. And throughout future episodes, I'm going to start highlighting chiefs I come across in everyday life. So over time, you get a real flavor for it. So we're going to start with this today as far as chief goes. So there's a guy who lives in my town. And he is in the running for one of the biggest fucking chiefs I have come across in my half a dozen years of using this word. So let me paint a picture for you. Before living at our current home, we lived right near the town center, about 150 feet from a strip of popular restaurants. Now, I'm typically the person at night who walks our dog, Bruno, and I started noticing this guy during evening and night walks, particularly during the warm weather months, really only during the warm weather months. But before noticing him, I noticed his car. Now, I had to look up the kind of car that, that it is, but it's called the Volkswagen Thing. And originally, this was a West German army car that came out in the late 1960s and ran through the early 1980s. So I noticed this, this Volkswagen thing in, in, in our town, a yellow car. Uh, and it's a convertible that's, that's um, uh, you know, loaded and, and loaded in every time as I walked by this convertible was on the walk were two big dogs that seemed to be some sort of pit bull or Great Dane mixes. I don't know what, what the hell kind of dogs they, what they are, but they're kind of big dogs. Both look different. And when my dog, Bruno, or any dog would walk near these dogs, these dogs, what they would do is they'd stand on the seats of the, of the convertible, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a posturing sort of way. They'd stand on the hood of the car. They'd stand on like the, 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 the edge of like the car, and, and just, as I said, posture at the dogs that would walk by. Now, they wouldn't bark, but they would certainly look like, hey, like, this is my territory. And it really just kind of pissed me off. And you know, my dog was not a fan of these dogs. And as a, as a precaution, I would often avoid the side of the street where this car was parked because I didn't know what the hell was going to happen or where the owner was. And after I started seeing this over and over again, I was like, all right, like, what the hell is going on with this thing? Like, like what the fuck's going on with this, this whole car and the dogs and, 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 and everything else? But, but what I came to realize was, this was, this was the, the, the owner of this car was a guy in town, probably in his late 40s, maybe even early 50s. He's some bachelor who would sit outside nearby restaurants. Now, if you weren't 
aren't sold that this guy is a chief based on what I mentioned. Let me build my case. This guy, as I've seen him now multiple times, poses for pictures from pe- for pe- with people in town next to his car and his dogs. Like, like literally people ask him to take pictures. He takes pictures with them, all right? He drives into town with his dogs 95% of the time. You know, you don't see this car in the wintertime. I see, I see this guy driving with his dogs, now obviously 90% of the time, and he circles around over and over again to find parking spots in front of high-traffic restaurants. And number three, he takes different, a different woman on, on dates to show off his, this, this, this whole concept of the car and the, the allure of the car over and over again. I mean, I've seen him with like, I don't know, five or six different women and um, I don't know, over a pretty short period of time. And, you know, this guy is just kind of trying to show off his command of the dogs and his car and the admiration and attention he gets uh, or hopes to get with the car. And he eats at these same restaurants over and over again, sometimes like the same restaurant two or three nights in a row in the highest traffic spots in this quaint suburban town that we live in. So does this guy not scream chief? I mean, give me a break. You know, similar to to what I've said about people who have loud mufflers or guys who rev, rev the engines on their cars or change lanes a million times on a highway without signaling. Now, I suspect Mr. Yellow Convertible isn't working with much under his own personal hood, if you catch my drift. A few thoughts on ghosting after this. So most of you listening have likely heard of the term ghosting. Now, in speaking of vernacular, this was not a term I think in ours until somewhat recently, or at least in the mainstream. So you can sift through Urban Dictionary for some solid ghosting definitions and examples. But to put simply, ghosting is the shutdown or ceasing of communication with someone without notice. Now, the justification by people on the side of ghoster are that in a way, it leaves a hint or, or nonverbal cues in order to avoid hurting someone's feelings. And, you know, I have shared uh, during the Friends Forever episode, I actually had a situation where a couple friend of ours, uh, husband and wife, ghosted my wife and I after literally more than, a, 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 you know, seven years of friendship collectively between the four of us. And for me with him, like over a decade of friendship. And I think it's an absolutely gutless move. Gutless move. If you have any smidge of integrity and balls, if you have a friendship, a romantic relationship, a fling, even a business relationship, you know, even a business interaction, you have to have some human decency and communicate the desire and the intention to cease a relationship or go in another direction. I'm sorry. There's no excuse for it. Now, I give a pass to people who might temporarily be working through a resentment or angry at somebody, especially if the person on the other side can probably spend a few minutes contemplating and being able to point out an offense, something that they did wrong to that person. But beyond that, if it's been a decent run with, without any notable blowups and the other person didn't do something dishonest or sneaky or mean-spirited, just communicate, especially if that person reaches out. You know, it's so disheartening sometimes to see this, and even just professionally with like, Big corporations doing this in an interview process. To, like, I've seen this with friends and loved ones. It's, it's absolutely gross. It's disgusting. Is this where we are in 2019? You know, is this a byproduct of the man leading the country 
and I use that term lead loosely, you know, has, has the proliferation of iPhone usage and capability turned us inhumane? Pisses me off, man. Get a life. And don't forget if you're on this, the side of the ghost there, karma's a bitch. Coming up, some commentary on recent parenting. So I, as I alluded to earlier, um, my daughter, my wife and I have been incredibly lucky to have such a sweet and jovial and smart and talkative three-year-old girl. And parenting is such a wild ride that I cannot even begin to unpack it in this segment. But, you know, Will in a later episode, I'm only three years and change into it. You know, one big challenge now with, with our daughter is negotiating and how dismissive she is about the most trivial things. And um, this is really, you know, her trying to find her voice as far as the dismissing things. But as far as that goes, she'll often say that she doesn't like something, especially a food that she hasn't even tried. And she sometimes will have a shirt that she just doesn't want to wear for really no discernible particular reason. And, you know, to couple that with negotiating to move her out of the house in a timely manner and move her along to the next daily action requires enticing her with the activity in front of that. So, for example, um, hey, you know, we have to stop watching Dora now so you can you can use some of your Olaf toothpaste or, hey, you know, you have to let mama comb your hair now so we can give you your your Disney vitamin Um, or finally, hey, you need to go to sleep. So tomorrow you can wake up and go to your your friend's house. I mean, it's really interesting the things that you have to do, and and these things ultimately have uh, are not going to work forever. But it's just it's just it's just funny though, like where where you have to be now parenting a three year old. And you know, one really cool thing about her is that at three and change now, you can really talk to her about things that happened, things that are going to happen ask her opinion on things and just watch her like draw conclusions. And the funniest thing I think she says now is, uh, you know, she's in the process of distinguishing nice and mean. So she calls, there's a satanic like leopard from Tarzan back in the late nineties. If you haven't seen the movie, this, this, this like character is just, just, just terrifying. And, um, you know, it's trying to, I mean, I don't want to ruin the movie for you. I mean, you could probably look it up if you probably know the theme, but, this leopard kills Tarzan's parents at the beginning of the movie after they get they get shipwrecked and you know kills the the gorilla family that adopts Tarzan's like like baby gorilla and the funny thing with 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 our daughter is that you know she she calls us this this uh, leopard a tiger and we haven't distinguished the whole spots and stripes stripes things yet um, but she calls it this this uh, this this. This animal, Daddy Tiger, because I guess she sees it as some kind of a male figure. Even though I think, ironically enough, it is a it is it is supposed to be a, a female leopard. But what she'll do is she'll say things like, "I like my friend Olivia. She's nice, yeah, but the Daddy Tiger's not nice. It's just so cute when she does that." But uh, these these little things, even the negotiating and her strong opinions on outfits and shoes at three, are what make parenting so rewarding. And they're, they're nothing anybody could have described to me before I was a parent. Anyway, NFL week six to seven bridge coming up. Okay, so last week, I know I didn't say the kindest things about Adam Gase as we get into the NFL this coming week. Um, he's the coach of my beloved football team, my Jets, and I said he better win. And I wasn't impressed with the way he 
um, coach the first few weeks of the season. But but I, I think he really was hiding some of the playbook without Darnold, given what he knew that he what he had at quarterback. And I'm not putting him in Canton just yet after the the upset win against the Cowboys last week. But I am very pleased with the effort. Now, what's amazing is how one player, Sam Darnold, number three overall pick last year, came back, played well, thrown for over 300 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, and he galvanized the team. Now, as much as I look at Gaze with a skeptical eye and skew not to like him, I feel the opposite about Darnold. You know, we've seen more sample size, and yes, I realize the jury is still out. We're going to know a lot more about the guy probably after this year, maybe after next year. But I think the guy can ball. And I will challenge my wife next week that she makes his early attention analogous to Mark Sanchez. And I have to hear from my brother-in-law and her, my brother-in-law who I'm going to see today, that Daniel Jones is better. Let's look at some numbers, all right? For anybody first who wants to compare Darnold and Sanchez, what do they have in common? Well, they're, they're, they're both from USC. They're Southern California guys. And they're both drafted top five by the Jets. Now, Sanchez was a bad quarterback, overdrafted on good teams. This guy made me crazy, in spite of the fact that his first two years, he got to two AFC championship games, right? But those teams were really good. They were Eric Mangini constructed. Rex Ryan came in as a, as a, as a catalyst, and the team had some really solid performance over the first two years. But Mark Sanchez wasn't winning games for us, all right? Now, Darnold, to contrast with, with Sanchez, slid from the, what was expected by most, even going into that, that last college year of his, to be the number one overall pick. And he slid from one to three as Baker Mayfield got some hype. Now, the Jets team was crappy last year under lame duck Todd Bowles. Um, and they, this year they're, they're better. They're improving, but they're still, they're still a work in progress. Now, Sam Darnold has played 15 games. So let's compare Darnold and Sanchez through that 15-game sample size. So, so Darnold, 20 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, 3,378 yards, an 80 quarterback rating, a 60% completion rate, and a 6.9 yards per attempt. Almost seven. 6.9 and change. Mark Sanchez, conversely, 60% of touchdowns, 12 touchdowns, 20 interceptions, Less than 2,500 yards, a 63 quarterback rating, 54% completion percentage, and 6.7 yards per attempt. So Darnold, they're not even in the same class, even just through 15 games. And Darnold struggled a few times last year, but played much better the last six or seven weeks. Six or less seven games, I should say. Now, Daniel Jones, who I am bullish on and think has some great promise, Especially as you get a lot, as the Giants got a lot of flack for drafting him six over Dwayne Haskins. The early returns on that are are firmly in the, in the camp of Daniel Jones. But there's this narrative that that he is somehow and he has it somehow, and Darnold doesn't have it. All right, bullshit. All right, Jones has played five games. He started four. He got he, he came in for early for the Dallas game, but he's really essentially played four games or played played the majority of four games. So he played Tampa Bay. Uh, played Washington, played Minnesota, and um, and then the New England this past week. Now Jones in four in those in those games five touchdowns, six interceptions, nine hundred and four yards, a seventy three quarterback rating, sixty percent completion percentage, and six point six yards per attempt. Respectable. He's a rookie. He's going to get better. 
Now, Darnold, Darnold in his last four games, dating back to the, the two that he's had this year and last year, six touchdowns, one interception, 10-21 as far as yards go, 100 quarterback rating, 67% completion percentage, and seven and a half yards per attempt. Edge Darnold, I don't want to hear it, all right? By the way, Baker Mayfield, how you doing? The class of the 2018 quarterbacks, huh? How are those 11 interceptions doing, you fucking clown? Why don't you go and film another progressive commercial ace? Baker Mayfield. Can't stand the guy. Really quickly, um, shame to see the, the Mahomes injury the other night. You know, in the NFL biracial ham tribe squad uh, and a young stud in this league. You know, I root for him more than I root for any quarterback outside of Darnold. And he's a great, exciting player to watch. Uh, racial similarities aside from me and him. But thankfully, we don't have to be without him for too long. It looks like he, he, his knee injury was not as serious as, as, uh, as was feared. And, and we're likely to have him back after Thanksgiving. Coming up next... Week 7 storylines, followed by the ham, warming, sharpening butter knife picks against the spread. All right, so as we start uh, taking a look at week 7, I mentioned a couple of the storylines. I think, um, you know, one of them has to be Sam Darnold. Will he play as well as he did last week against the Cowboys? How is he going to react to the Bill Belichick, Belichick defense? And the number two is, you know, Patrick Mahomes against the Broncos the other night went down with a knee injury, not as serious as we thought. How are the Chiefs going to play just coming up? And, you know, will a team like the Raiders and even, um, you know, the the Chargers have a chance to get back into the division race? Um, So those are those are a couple of the lines. Uh, Some of the other storylines, you know, I'll I'll get to them in my picks. But, yeah, the, the, the Houston and Indianapolis showdown. Will Miami and Washington continue to lose? They're both uh, big dogs this week. Um, you know, then you you know another storyline is um, um, will the Atlanta Falcons continue to struggle? Well, the Rams are coming into town. They're both struggling teams. Um, can can either of them see their way out of it? Is Dan Quinn going to get fired at some point soon? Um, and then I think beyond that, you have to look at other things. You know, Philip Rivers, and we're not really talking about it, but is he, is he starting to lose a little bit as a quarterback? I mean, at, at, from the guys between, um, you know, Eli Manning and, and, and Roethlisberger and Rivers, the same class, I mean, they're, they're all starting to fade um, in different ways. I mean, Eli's been fading for a little while. Roethlisberger's been hurt a lot. Rivers has played at a high level, but this year he's certainly not. And I, I know they've had some injuries, but that's another interesting storyline. Um, and then you have, um, you know, Baltimore Ravens going into Seattle, Lamar Jackson, uh, running quarterback going into play Russell Wilson, who's really mastered running, but is also a fantastic passer, probably aspirational for for um, for Lamar Jackson. And then I think we have, uh, you know, Mitchell Trubisky status on, on, on like not yet announced, but um, the Bears are hosting the Saints. Saints have been a lot better than people have thought with Drew Brees out. And then, of course, uh, just ending the, the, the last storyline is the. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, neither playing great. Who's going to step up and, and make a run in that, in that uh, NFC East? So now let's, um, let's segue to, uh, to my, my picks. So um, this year, um, you know, as, I, as I mentioned, I, I rebounded a little bit last week. I was 2-1, and one, bringing my record to a better but still shitty 6-10-2 for this season. Um, I won with the Bengals plus 10.5 at the Ravens and my Jets plus 7.5 hosting the Cowboys. 
Lost with the the garbage Falcons, minus two and a half on the road at Arizona. Missed extra point, cost me, I think, a shot. But I should have stayed away from Dan Quinn, which even as a home dog this week against the Rams, I will not touch. So without further ado, week seven picks. Here we go. Let's start in Indianapolis, where we have a battle for first place as the 3-2 and two Colts are hosting the 4-2 and two Texans, and the Colts are short one-and-a-half-point favorites. Now, when I see these spreads, it's often helpful to do a, a, a quick exercise, and it's a sanity check by translating the, to new a neutral field and then to a flipped home road split. So typically, we see three points to home field advantage, barring a few exceptions. So if this game were neutral, Vegas is, is putting... Um, is putting this at minus one and a half in favor of Houston. And in Houston, they would be a four and a half point favorite. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. I respect what I saw last week going into Arrowhead and beating one of the AFC it teams in Kansas City. But these teams are even to me, and I'm getting Indy coming off a bye. Let's look at betting and money distribution. 68% of the tickets on the Texans, but under 60% of the cash, which signals sharp money is on the Colts. The Colts have been mentally tough and a balanced team on both sides of the ball, and Marlon Mack has been an incredibly effective runner. Now, I give the edge at quarterback, obviously, to Deshaun Watson, but where I really give the Colts an edge is coaching. Frank Reich, to have his team come out competitive and prepared in spite of the Andrew Luck retirement and to game plan the way he has with a very tough schedule so far says a lot about him as a coach. Not to mention the Colts have won 12 out of their last 15 games. So give me the Colts here, minus one and a half at home, hosting the Texans. Next, let's go to Cincinnati, where the Bengals are four and a half point dogs to the Jaguars. Now for a team coaching quarterback who I don't like, I've been on the Bengals for three weeks in a row now. Now let's play the mirror game again and look at this game if it were in Jacksonville. Now, should the Jacksonville Jaguars be a 9.5 or 10-point favorite, even accounting for less than a 3-point advantage for Jacksonville at home? Absolutely not. The Bengals aren't going 0-16, and they have been competitive this year. Now, as far as wagering, 83% of the tickets have been on the Jacksonville Jaguars. But get this. More than half of the money, 56%, is on the Bengals, signaling that's where Sharps are. In addition to this mirror strategy, taking a winless team against the spread is also a sharp strategy, especially at home. Now, Minshew Mania to me is overrated and overhyped and cute. Yeah, he has a mustache. He has some swag and a headband. But Jacksonville is ranked 26th in defense according to Football Outsiders. So give me the Bengals here, plus four and a half to cover, and maybe even upset outright. Finally, I'm taking the Jets again this week getting nine and a half at home on Monday night against the New England Patriots. Now, you don't get rich in, in this league going against Bill Belichick, especially off uh, extra rest as they played on last Thursday night. But right now, if you're looking at distribution, 81% of the tickets on the pass with only 68% of the cash. So the Patriots are 6-0, and I know. But who have they played? The first time they played, the, they played us, we were starting a pop Warner quarterback in Luke Falk. You know, it takes people a while to trust the Jets based on my notion last week and my theory of their negative sentiment elasticity. And I think that's attributable to their franchise history. Now, one key thing to look at here in this game is Gaze against Belichick. Now, I know I've been very critical of Gaze, but if we discount the Luke Falk game and look at the last six games against the Patriots when he was in Miami, he's 2-2. Two and two. 
And that includes a Monday night win back with Jay Cutler as quarterback in 2017. Now, I'm not saying the Jets are winning this game, but with Darnold back, they should not be this much of a dog. If this game were flipped in New England, if you do the mirror test, which is the theme of this week, um, New England shouldn't be a 15.5-point favorite. The Jets have a real defense. They're top 10 in the league in special teams. C.J. Mosley's back. Chris Herndon might be back. And the team is motivated and, and, and plays with a different motor under Sam Darnold. So give me the Jets plus 9.5 at home against the Patriots. To summarize, I like Indy minus 1.5 against the Texans. Cincinnati at home plus 4.5 against the Jags. And the Jets on Monday night plus 9.5 against the Patriots. One hot take and one rant coming up next. All right, so hot take number one. So one thing I don't understand is people who drink water with meals, right? Now I'm all for drinking lots of water. There are tons of benefits to water. I make sure to have water all the time. But, and I've also phased out soda, I should say, as well. Um, soda consumption, even though I love, I still love a good fountain soda. But for me, water is just so bland to have with meals. You know, I like, as, a, as an alternative, sparkling water, coconut water, and, you know, even toss in a water with lemon. But with certain strong foods, if you're, you know, if you aren't going to have a, an alcoholic beverage, you, you got to have a soda or lemonade or something. Now, you can't have a burger in water. You can't have pizza and water. Come on. You know, I know we have a soft drink issue in this country, but I think it's more of a quantity thing. And you know, this is one of the things, one of the many things that Europeans are very much ahead of us on. They all have these, they, they, they rarely have just regular still water with, with meals. And when they have these, you know, even sodas, they're having much smaller quantities. So again, you can't have water with meals, in my opinion. I know that's judgy. But just, if you're just, I'm just going to have water person, just try something to spice it up. Okay, now rant number one. I cannot stand it when I'm walking through a double door, a glass double door, particularly this happens to me when I'm walking around New York City, and people would rather walk through a held door coming the other direction than push or pull the second door that's closed. Now, this is a walking traffic inefficiency. Is it that hard to push if you aren't an elderly or disabled person? And this particularly pisses me off when it's cold outside. I have to hold the door for you coming out of a, a lunch and stand out a few extra seconds in the freezing cold or the rain because you can't push the other door? Give me a break. Another example of laziness and the subtle entitlement in this country. Thanks for listening to the Chris Ham Podcast. Please follow me on Twitter, at Chris N. Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.